0: But talking about 1 Corinthians, uh, we're looking at, obviously, the Apostle Paul here is the author of this, this book. It's first of two letters. Paul spends some extensive time with the Corinthian church. Uh, if you read through his ministry and where he goes, it's kind of his, his MO, right? He goes to places, as much time as he can kind of spend there, as much time as the Lord leads him to spend in the place, he spends there, invests into the people. And if you think about Corinth and where it was, kind of the gateway that it was and the city that it was, it was larger than a lot of the places that Paul ends up on his ministry. It had a lot to it. It may not be as big as maybe like Athens or something like that, but it still was a, it was a roadway and there was a huge road into it on the way to Ephesus and stuff. So um, it it mattered. It was very important. And so when Paul got out here, he realized that this was something that he had to do in his ministry. He had to spend some time with these people. And and the understanding of it, the belief of it, uh, you know, I... I am not the smartest person in a room of commentaries, that's for sure. But there are some brilliant men up there who spent a lot of time studying this stuff and looking through this stuff. And most of them will agree that he spent about a year to a year and a half in that time based on his timeline of where he was. And so in Paul's ministry, that's one of the more extensive time he stays in places, excluding really when he's kind of in prison. Right? He goes to Rome and he spends a long time there, goes to Athens. But this is, this is a big part of his ministry, and so in Corinthians, he actually writes two letters. And there's, there's a couple of reasons for this. Um, primarily, it's, it's this that he spends his time with his people and he hears, starts hearing about them after he leaves. And the news of what happened, you know, Paul's kind of that guy that goes to a place, and then after he leaves, he sends someone else, right? So he sent Timothy here. He sent Barnabas out to different places. He was, you know, uh, with uh, Silas for a while, and he left him some places and stuff. So he would go to a place and leave someone. He knew that other people had visited here. You're going to hear about that in chapter 1, where he says that some people were saying that they were following the teachings of uh, Cephas or Peter. Some people were saying they were following Apollos, which we don't hear a whole lot about, but we do understand from Acts who that was. Okay, and, and, and some people were just like, man, I just follow Christ. They, they were kind of just all over the place, this church. And so Paul starts getting this, uh, he hears about them, and he realizes, man, I got I to gotta write these people. We got to address some issues that he hears about them. But the other thing that actually happens is they write him. They're like, actually, we have some questions because things start coming up in the church. And just like you would think of any early church, first century church, this is, this is kind of how it works, right? They, they had the apostles. Those who saw Christ and were with him, and they went out. But, man, these guys would go to a place, teach them, bring them up, sometimes leave someone, sometimes not, and then go. These guys kind of had to figure it out a little bit on their own, right? They had to, they had to be, you know, in the word, understanding it, listening to his teachers. You've got to ma- imagine how fervent these guys were when someone came to them to listen and to grasp onto these things, because when they were gone, it wasn't like we, us today, you know? If someone comes in as a guest speaker and speaks on something, what do we have? We have, you know, endless pieces of technology, endless books, the Bible itself that talks about what they said. It wasn't the same thing for these people, right? This was the letter that Paul responds to them. So in, in chapter one, uh, to these people that Paul is intimately familiar with, he right away kind of goes and says, You know, I, I love you guys. He addresses them as believers, he knows who they are. And, uh, you know, doing his his typical opening, he right away goes into that after giving thanks for who they are saying, but I've heard about divisions among you. I've heard about your struggles. And I love about Paul that as soon as he talks about, man, I've heard about your struggles. I heard about those devices. It's not like he just goes in there and starts calling them out, right? That's, that's, that's not his job. He understands that. And says so what he say uh, in chapter one, uh, verse number All right, I'm going to actually start following my notes, so forgive me here, because if I don't, that'll be the end of this all. But in verse number 22, uh, or excuse me, verse number 20, he says, excuse me, I'll get there, verse number 18. Okay, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God, right? He right away just goes to it. He says, I see these divisions. I know where you guys are at, so let's bring it back. Like, he just draws them back in. It's not necessarily addressing the issues, and he will. But the first thing that he does, and Paul is, is brilliant with this, right? He gives the gospel. He addresses some of these issues. He talks to them. He talks about these things. And if you look, actually, in chapter 15, what does he do again? He gives the gospel. He says, For I delivered to you as a first importance what I also received. This is in chapter 15. He says that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he rose, uh, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, right? He just goes right back to it. I've given to you exactly what I've had. So he talks about it from the beginning. He says, I see these divisions. I want you to first and foremost understand the word of the cross is fully to the wise, but to you who are perishing, or excuse me, but to uh, as fully to those who are perishing, folly to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. That's Paul, right? Let's, Let's put this bubble around it. Let's wrap it all in this thing. You know, it's the gospel wrapping around it. And then he goes and talks to them. So in chapter two, it's a little bit of a different thinking. We're actually just gonna stay in the first five verses and it's kind of a weird section to stay because Paul's just really addressing them. So in chapter two, beginning in verse one, he says, "'And I, when I came to you, brothers, "'did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God "'with lofty speech or wisdom. "'For I decided to know nothing among you "'except Jesus Christ and him crucified. "'And I was with you in weakness and in fear and, "'and much trembling.'" And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstrations of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. As we go into this and as we think about this, I just want you guys to think about what Paul wants to understand. When I came in, when I was there, this is what I did. Let's pray and then we'll get into this. God, I just want to thank you so much for this morning, this time. Lord, we are blessed for the fact that we have a wonderful church body. We have a wonderful pastor, Lord, that I pray that him and his wife are just getting some great time together and rest. I pray that this morning, Lord, as we read the writings of Paul, we understand just as important as it was to him that it is not about him, but it's about your cross and the power of your cross, God. I pray that we can focus on that this morning. Amen. So in chapter 2, verses 1 through 5 here, you see Paul just coming in and at, and I like this because he doesn't. He starts out just telling them, like, I'm thankful for you. This is who you are. I've heard about these divisions. Let's focus on the power of Christ. And he says, even I. Okay, so if you look at that first verse, it says, it says, and I, when I came to you, brothers. Actually, another way of saying that was the even I. Even I, when I read all this, when I'm saying this to myself, basically Paul's saying I'm preaching this message, first of all, to me. Even I, when I came to you guys did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, right? Think about who this is, okay? This is Paul. If you talk about a guy who's just kind of been through the gambit, right? And we're gonna actually look at that a little bit today. Man, if he did not have a focal point, (laughs) Think of all the times he would have given up. You think about the cities that he was dragged in front of people in chains, okay? You think about where he came from on the road to Damascus, right? Man, God just speaks to him, makes him blind, changes his whole MO, right? Before, where was he going? He was on the road to persecute more Christians. He was there, the stoning of Stephen, gathering the clothes to bring it back, right? He was the guy that was there that was persecuting Christians. And suddenly everything changed. And it wasn't an easy transition. You read about it. What does he do? He like goes away for three years and he goes and spends time with the apostles and he has to keep telling people who he was. He doesn't go out right away from that three years either. He goes back to the apostles, talks to them, preaches in the area, and basically when he gets a good enough testimony about himself, when people are enough going, man, he's preaching the gospel. He's like, okay, I'm ready. And you just think, like, after all that, okay, three years spending with God, three years experiencing that, like, things that no one else has. Okay, He talks about he was drawn up into the, you know, the, the third heavens with God, understanding, seeing visions, being empowered by God, talking to God on the road to, to Damascus. You think, man, when he goes out, man, people are just, like, ready to go. It's not the case, right? City after city, these people are just like, Wanting to hunt him down, wanting to drag him in front of the people, wanting to chase him out. He goes to the cities and they, like praises people for how good they are, and then he goes to the next city and he's gotta be lowered out of the window by a basket just to get away from these people, right? He's just he's having a hard time of it. And he's, you know, he, he talks about his thorns in the flesh, he talks about the maladies that he has, he talks about his weaknesses and all these things. Gosh, you look at him, you're like, Now yeah, what kept you going? <laughs> What kept Paul on this ministry? And I'm not saying this to highlight who Paul is. I'm saying it. What was so great that he found, right? And he tells them, even I, and I, when I came to you, did not talk about, excuse me, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, the testimony of God. That's the important part there, Right? think about who paul is okay in first corinthians chapter four i'm actually going to read a real quick a a couple of verses out of there i'm going to open this up so i can see it because it's actually a a, a bit of an extensive um part right here but in chapter four beginning verse six i just want to understand who paul is again um he said i've applied all these things to myself and apollos for your benefit brothers um before i keep going just understand okay paul is not an apollos hater okay he actually really praises apollos he talks about him before he talks about him afterwards apollos was another man that came in preaching and the people were saying well i learned from apollos and others were saying well i learned from paul and some were saying i learned from peter and others were just saying i just follow christ and they couldn't figure it out so there's this huge division so paul identifying that says i've applied all these things to myself and apollos for your benefit brothers because paul actually baptized apollos Paul was baptized according to John the Baptist. And Paul said, uh, that's great. You understand that he was testifying to another, but I'm going to baptize you in Christ and actually lay his hands on him, give him the Holy Spirit. Like it's, it's, it's awesome. So he said, Apollos, for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us, not going beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against the other. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you re- uh, <coughs> excuse me, if then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Already you have all that you want. Already you have become rich. Uh, now let me. I'm sorry. I'm going to keep doing this. I'm going to break it up because you have got to understand. Uh, looking at who Paul is, okay. If you've ever read the writings of Paul, he likes to use a lot of sarcasm, and sometimes it's really easy to tell. But Paul kind of goes into this like sarcastic remark to these people. Overemphasizing these things so they understand like who what they're basically saying. So that's where he starts uh, in verse eight. He tells them, "Already you have all that you want. Already you have become rich. Without us you have become kings, and would that you did reign, so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a, spe- a spectacle to the world, uh, to the world, to angels and to men." We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we are uh, in uh, disrepute. To this present hour we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor working with our hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, uh, the refuse of all things. I do not write these things. So he stops right there, okay? So he's like, well... You know, he says, if you're going to go beyond what you have received, then you got to understand what you really are. That's like, that's Paul saying here. Already, you're rich. You become kings. You're great. And he's like, and I really hope that you actually become kings and reign, because then, man, you can take me along with you. Because right now, as apostle of God, things aren't going so great. Paul is just like he, he's laying on it. I mean, he's just like nonstop. Like you're rich. You have all these things. And he said, and especially compared to us apostles, you guys are doing awesome because our our time's been rough. So then he kind of comes, steps off it a little bit in verse 14. He says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. So I'm not saying this to make you guys embarrassed. I want you guys to understand me. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then be imitators of me. And he keeps t- teaching them and talk to them. Now, why I go here to understand this? To understand Paul when he says, "Even I, when I came to you, to pro- uh, came to you proclaiming the testimony of God." Right? Well, he, he says, "Even I, when I did that, it wasn't in loftiness, it wasn't in great speech, it wasn't with who I am." He said, "Because reality is, I don't ever want to go beyond what I've received in Christ." And he uses this ridiculous ans- uh, uh, excuse me, ridiculous portion here for helping them understand that, okay, as he's addressing them. He said, this is my core. Coming back to it and understanding it, he goes, when I came to you, I didn't proclaim to you uh, the testimony of God with lofty speech and wisdom. He goes, I just proclaimed to you the testimony of God. And, and it's so important to us that, you know, as, as a Christian, you know, so many times in contrast to what Paul says, you know, I get caught up especially in it. That, man, I just I, what, I want to make it more, Right? There's just got to be something more to it because so many times we read this and we think, well, okay, but, but, but it's got to come across better. People aren't going to accept it if they hear it this way. And Paul said, I mean, I've been through everything. I've been through it all and if, you, if we want to go beyond that, he said, you're going to find yourself in these places. Yeah, you're going to feel like you're rich, you're great, you're successful, you have all these things. And you're going to look at people like me and apollos and other people who are fervent for the gospel and you're going to think man these people are ridiculous i said that's not the point here he was i'm your father i want you to be imitators of me this is not paul saying look at me and look what i've done he says look at what i've grasped onto if i can hang on to this in all these trials and all these things and all that i've been through man you guys are you're rich you're outstanding. You're great. You're kings. You know, there's two reasons why I think that Paul mentioned uh, in, in uh, verse 1. He says, where he says, I didn't come preaching to you in lofty speech or wisdom. His counterpart in this kind of ministry here was Apollos. And actually, if you read about Apollos in Acts chapter 18, Apollos was considered an eloquent man. Okay? So you have Paul the apostle. If you, it's, it's really kind of funny uh, if you don't realize it, and you read about Paul. In, uh, in uh, 1 Corinthians 10.10, 10, and you guys can actually look at that real quick. 1 Corinthians 10.10, 10, it says, in speaking of, oh, excuse me, 2 Corinthians 10.10, 10, 10, sorry about that. In 2 Corinthians 10.10, 10, in speaking about Paul, this is what they say. It says, for they say, his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak, and his speech is of no account. So Paul is basically sitting here saying, <laughs> I'm no Apollos. I didn't come to you for claiming this in lofty speech and in great words of wisdom. I am not that guy. So you think about that. It's like, okay, so so what's his fallback? So who who is Paul? And I'm getting mixed up here. Let me try this again. So you think about it and you say, you know, so who is Paul? Paul's a guy that says in, in chapter one in verse, or excuse me, chapter two, in verse two, he said, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Right? He says, I don't have the testimony that I want to have. You know, there's sometimes we think about it and we look at people and you think, have you ever heard of someone's testimony? You're like, oh, you're like blown back by it. They talk about what they were brought out of and you're just like, man, my testimony is so weak compared to that because if I was rescued from what you were rescued from, if I was brought away from what you were brought away from, yeah, I, I would get it. I'd be like, yeah, God is definitely real because of what he did in you. Paul didn't look like it that way. Because you look at Paul, it's like, man, you were... You know, knocked on your back on the road to Damascus. God talked to you. God you know, had a man come and kill you and started this ministry. He brought you and taught you from him. And Paul doesn't look at it and go and say, I have all these great things to show you to so show you how good God is because look what he did in me. He said, no, I don't want to show you anything, anything except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Man, if that is not empowering to us and exciting to us, right? Because instead of me sitting here and saying, well, you know, God didn't do the same things that he'd done in your life, God didn't do the same things he's done. I haven't seen God as much in my life. It's like, man, Paul doesn't talk about the way that he's able to convey to people because how he was drawn up to the higher heavens. He's actually embarrassed by it. Do you know what Paul says in 2 Corinthians? It's, it's, it's crazy to read. Uh, I'm actually going to read just a, a real quick excerpt of it, and you guys can follow along. It's actually 2 Corinthians chapter 11, but I'm not reading the ESV, so God will not strike me dead for that. I'm actually reading a, a reader's version of it, though, because it's a little bit easier to understand, but it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he says, I repeat, no one should consider me a fool, but if you do, at least accept me as a fool, so that I may boast a little. What I say in this manner of boasting, I do not speak as the Lord would, but foolishly. So he, 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 at least here he's dropping some pretense, right? He's saying, I'm not talking about how God would talk about me. I'm talking about how a fool would talk about himself. It's like I want you guys to get what I'm saying here. Since many boast in an unspiritual way, I will also boast. For you, being so wise, gladly put up with fools. In fact, you put up with it it, if someone enslaves you, if someone devours you, if someone captures you, if someone dominates you, if someone hits you in the face. I say this to our shame. We have been weak. But whatever anyone dares to boast, again, he says, I am talking foolishly, I also dare. Are the Hebrews? So am I. Are the Israelites? So am I they the seed of Abraham, so am I. Are they the servants of Christ? And then in the middle of saying all this, Paul can't even get through talking about his own credentials, his own boastful thing. He has this like little expert. It's funny, in the context of this and in the Greek, it's actually offset in such a strong way that in English, we don't have a way to offset it in the same way. In Greek, he was just like, he kind of like stopped and waited to he everyone's attention. And he goes, I'm talking like a madman. He goes, this is ridiculous. You ever heard someone boasting about themselves? You're like, dude, you're ridiculous. Like, you think so highly of yourself that this is ridiculous to hear. That's how Paul t- felt talking, and he was telling the truth, right? He's just saying, and so in the middle of this, he goes, I'm talking like a madman. I'm a better one with far more labors, many more imprisonments, far worse beatings, near death many times, five times I received 39 lashes from the Jews, three times I was beaten by rods by the Romans, once I was stoned by my enemies, three times I was shipwrecked, I have spent a night and a day in the open sea, on frequent journeys I faced dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the open country, dangers in the sea, and dangers among false brothers, labor and hardship, many sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, often without food, cold and lacking clothing. Not to mention other things. There is a daily pressure on me. My care for all the churches. Who is weak? And I am not weak. Who is made to stumble? And I do not burn with indignation. If boasting is necessary, I will boast about my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is praised forever, who knows I'm not lying. Like Paul, I love Paul, and I love what he does here. He can't even get through talking to himself without saying I'm... I'm talking like a madman. This is ridiculous for me to say these things. You know why? Because if you go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, this is what he says. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. The other way to say this statement here is say, I held nothing of value except Jesus Christ and him crucified. You don't get to say all those things honestly without that. You can't look at your life and your ministry and what you've done and look at it and go, man, I've gotten all these things and I'm such a great person. He could have. He even says to himself, I could have done this. You guys are so busy boasting about yourselves. You want to boast? Look at me. But then, you know, I I love his closing on that that verse in 2 Corinthians. He said, who is weak and I'm not weak. Who is made to stumble, and I do not burn with indignation, if boasting is necessary, boast about my weakness. Paul got it, right? He says, even when I came to you, I didn't come with lofty speeches, I didn't come with wisdom, I didn't come with something you had, I just chose to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's why you hear it all the time, okay? If you can't have been at this church this long, can't listen to John this long without understanding. It's like, man, every week we talk about the same thing, right? It's about the gospel. It's about the gospel. It's about Christ crucified, his resurrection, what he's done. It's about the gospel. It's about the second Adam that came, and when there was a pattern from the first Adam that we could not change, he came and he did something. It's the second Adam. It's the gospel. You're not going to get any more than that. And Paul doesn't give any more than that, right? That's, that's, that's the whole thing here. You want to look at a guy who's about to go, he's, he's going to talk about specifics here. Understand, this is not meaning that like, all he's going to talk about is Christ crucified. What he's saying is nothing else holds value. It's like talking to someone who, in a conversation, who's never, um, I, I was say, uh, describing to a place to a person who's never been there, right? Like, if you've been to a place and someone's there like, oh, what's it like? And you start describing it to them. The only context they're going to have from that, right, is what you can kind of give them based around it. But then if someone else walks up that bend there, there's something so much different about that, right? Because then you guys have the same idea. You guys have the same foundation. You guys are starting in the same place. It's almost impossible to just truly describe. Talk to someone who's been to the Grand Canyon, right? Like, I I can't remember what it was. It's like, wow, someone said, you know, wow, that was a great hole when they left the Grand Canyon, you know? You talk to someone who's been there, it's like, that's not the reaction that someone who's truly been there has. They talk about looking at it and seeing what it is and the greatness of it and how beautiful it is and everything about it, and it's not just a big hole in the ground. I think there's so much more to it and what, what you can be inspired and encouraged about. In the same way, Paul's looking at them going, you can't go and sit here and say, it's about Apollos, it's about Cephas, it's about something else. And, and, and it's funny because in this time, um, Paul I wanted to bring this up earlier, but, you know, Paul was going to address, like, nine different things in this book, okay? There was divisions in the church, there was incest, there was lawsuits, there was sexual immoralities, there was the fact of his apostleship and his authority, okay? They wrote him a letter then asking about, that's all things that he heard, okay? This is just, like, rumor tree coming back to Paul and him going like, wait, what's going on with this church? Not rumor tree, but someone actually gave him a report. And then they wrote him a letter saying, that talked about marriage and food sacrificed to idols, about worship, about the resurrection. So Paul's got a lot of things to go on with this church. And he goes, I can't even get there if you don't start at the same place as I'm at. And it's the same for us, right? We can't go around in this life and think like, oh, I'm going to get to where I'm going and I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to follow Christ. I'm going to do these things." if we can't start in the same spot. You got to start with the cross. That's why we keep going back to it. It's just as good today as it will be tomorrow and as it was yesterday. It's just as important. The problem that this church was having is they basically took the cross and made it little, they made it less. Other things started taking precedence over it. And if they had gone back and just gone back to the core, Paul said, I started there with you. And I, when I came, I chose to know nothing more than Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Right? Paul definitely found it as enough. In Philippians 3, verse 8, he says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. Right? He got it. That's what he wants these people to get. He goes, ah. That's why in chapter 4 he uses that ridiculous example that I read. He says, you're rich. You're kings. You're so much better than we are if we looked at you with this world. He says, but Apollos, I, those who have taught you, we wanted to start in one spot. That's here. Moving on from that, you know, Paul is the, the, what, the king of the double down, right? If he says something once, it's gonna make it much even heavier the second time. He's gonna make sure you understand it. And that's what he does in verses three and four here. He says, and I was with you in weakness, and in fear, and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not plausible words of wisdom. And when I read this the first time, I, I immediately thinking of Paul, okay? If you're familiar with his ministry, I just read to you about it, okay? The guy has been through a lot of suffering, right? So when you think about, he talks about my weakness, my struggles, it, it, you know, I was like, yeah, you, you, you did. You know, what does he talk about with God in, in, in uh I'm going to say Galatians, but it might be Thessalonians. Now I'm not thinking about it. But he talks about his thorn in the flesh, right? He says, I I, I prayed to God three times to take it from me because he said it was so bad to him. Okay, and we don't know what that is. But, I mean, it could have been when he was stoned, he got messed up. When he was bitten by a poisonous snake, he got messed up. When he was cast out of cities, he got messed up. When he received life, I mean, take your pick. It's Paul. Right? But it wasn't just the physical weakness here, Okay? And we know that he had some because they talked to him. They said his words, what, in, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 10, or said, they said, for his, his writings are great, but when he comes in front of us, his words are soft. Paul wasn't this guy who like came in front of them and he was like this amazing man that they all wanted to see. No, he's, that's why he says, I, I came to you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. In 2 Corinthians, and I, I keep going through First and Second Corinthians, you've got to remember, this, he's addressing the same audience here. And they're all believers. And I'm sorry if, you, if you're having a hard time following me, jumping around, but I want, you to, I want us to understand the context of Paul's ministry. Like, this is just a touch and a taste of it. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, excuse me, uh, chapter 2, 16 and 3, 5, he uh, reminds them that he was insufficient constantly, over and over again. If there's something about Paul, read Romans. You'll see that Paul's just like, man, the things I don't want to do, I do. The things I do want to do, I don't. I am the least of these. I am the chief of sinners. I am a sinner. I am at God's mercy. But in, I love what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. He says, such is the confidence that we have through Christ towards us. Not that we are sufficient in, our own, in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, uh, but of the Spirit, for the letters kill but the spirit gives life, right? Paul got it. He's like, when he talks about the letters there, that's the law, okay? And he said, if I measured myself up against the law, okay, he's like, I've been gone a long time before. I mean, Paul, let me tell you, if there's someone who knew the Old Testament law, Paul was one of them, right? The dude knew, he was, he was on the council, okay? He was a Pharisee, he was a guy, he, he Paul was dragging Christians out. And why was he dragging Christians out? It wasn't self-serving, honestly. Paul wasn't just like, I like killing Christians. That wasn't his MO before. That wasn't what it is. He said, I want to stop the heresy that is Christ. He loved the law, the Old Testament. But you know what happened to him? He was on the road to Damascus. And Christ opened his eyes. And he realized, gosh, am I owning efficiencies? And who I am and who I am? As a Christian, or excuse me, as, as, as someone who believes in God, I would never have seen this. But how is it describe him? what happened when he gained sight? The scales fell off. That's us. Christ reveals the gospel to us. Boy, are we insufficient, right? Boy, could I have never understood this without Christ? That's what I love where he says. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us. Our sufficiency is from God. Okay, That's why Paul goes and tells them, he doubles down on what he said before. He said, I, I want you to understand. I get it. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not plausible words of wisdom. Okay, Basically repeating the same thing he's already said. It's like, I, I couldn't give you wisdom. Okay, And that's, here's the crazy thing. Uh, if you've ever met someone smart who tries to explain something to you, like we had a gentleman at our old, the the, the other church campus who was getting his doctorate and this is how bad it was. I don't remember exactly what it was. It was something that, like, it was biometrical, electrical engineering, something like that. I was like, why is it biometrical if it's electrical? I mean, it was something, like, ridiculous out there. And then he was at a fellowship at the school, and he was trying to explain a project that he was working on. And it was kind of one of those things that he would start explaining to me. I'm like, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's, let's start again. Like, what is that? And he'd go back and he'd, like, explain it again. And, go, and by the time he was done, it was like, you know, you, I'm making electricity. And I was like, okay, I don't know how that works. But anyways, you'll know, continue. You know, I'm making electricity from biodegradable materials. And I was like, what in the world? How? Like, it, you know, and, and to his benefit, I mean, he probably tried to explain it to me for like 30 minutes. But the time I got done, I was just like, I'm, I don't get it. And that subject and what he was talking about, I had no idea. That's not Paul, okay? Paul is not coming into this blindly. You want someone that could have talked about the whole Old Testament? Go, go read Acts. Paul is, man, he is awesome at it, right? He, I wish I could write, a, I had a class. So uh, for those of you guys don't know, I've actually, I um, was a pastor. I had my undergraduate in, 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 uh, in theology. Went to seminary, three years of that, two and a half years of that. I've done a decent amount of theology. And one of my classes was an Old Testament class. And we, as it was broken into two parts, and as the final on the test, we had to write chapter headings from half the Old, the Old Testament, from Genesis 1 all the way through. You had to write them all. Genesis 1 through first, or 2 Kings. Then the second class of the half, you've got to keep going. First Chronicles all the way through. A couple of them were, were, were bundled together. But basically, if you did all of them at once, it was like 600 and something chapter headings. It was awful. But the second half of that final grade was on the, writing a meta-narrative from Genesis 1 through where we were and it had to be in a way that an 8-year-old could understand and it was terrible because i was like uh, you know but he wanted us to understand the themes and what was written out here and i was just like man i could just turn to acts you know in that class and just like wrote what paul wrote down when he was in front of the area pagus why because that's what he does he goes back and he brings them back to Abraham. And he says, you guys know Abraham. You know David. You know your fathers. You know what's happened. You saw the covenant. You understood who it is. But he's like, you were missing something. Something so important. Remember that 400 years that went where we thought we didn't see God and you guys kept thinking that there's this king that was coming and he's gonna change everything and rescue Israel? Well, he came. And you missed it. And you crucified him. But he writes this Paul's smart. He quotes philosophers when he's talking to people. In Acts, he quotes a philosopher. In Titus, he refers to a philosopher. He pulls out Old Testament scriptures. He says all these things. Paul understood it all. He got it. He could have came to them and just like confounded them in the word of God, right? He could have like showed them like from the beginning and really pulled it apart and made it this amazing thing. Instead, he says, no. So I realized what I was handling. It's, it's, it's the gospel, that's why I said at the beginning here, even talking today, you know, I know Jeff's preached before, Anthony's preached before. Anthony gets to have the opportunity to go uh, teach. He's teaching our kids right now, but he has the opportunity to speak to the baseball players in baseball chapel for the uh, Nashville Sounds. And you know, whenever we have this opportunity to speak, it's, it's heavy. It weighs. And why? Because we're weak. That's where Paul's coming from. His weakness is not just this physical thing. His weakness is who he is. It's, man, I am... I'm weak. I have no authority and power in here. My authority comes from God. I'm insufficient. Calvin, uh, John Calvin, said this about this specific section of scriptures. He says, The servants of the Lord are not so dull as to not see threatening dangers, nor so insensitive as to not be affected by them. No. And in fact, they must be seriously apprehensive for two main reasons. One, that humbled of their own eyes, they might learn to lean and rest completely on God alone. And two, that they might be trained in true self-denial. Paul, therefore, was not without a, self of, a sense of anxiety, but he controlled it so that he nonetheless continued to be undaunted in the midst of crisis. Right? And there was a crisis. Paul saw it. That's why he left the apostles. He said, there's a crisis. There's a whole group of people out here who don't know God. It's encouraging. It's convicting. It's all those different things to think about the fact that Paul, who's going out and doing this and walking from city to city, sharing the gospel was, was, was affected. There was a several, there was a, there's this pressure and anxiety on him, but you know what? You look at Paul and, and Paul was the freest of people. He truly was. You know why I say that? Because Paul understood his place in Christ. He didn't have chains weighing him down, and he should have. Right? He was the one killing the Christians. He was a murderer. Like let's 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 grasp onto that. You know, of all those "thou shall nots," what do we kind of think of? Like, at least I'm not that. You know, at least I'm not a murderer. At least I'm no David. I didn't cheat on my wife. You know, like, I mean, you know, we kind of put these lines up and these boundaries up. And like, well, what, what was it say about David? He was the man who was after the heart of God. God chose to use him in miraculous ways. And Paul flushes this out, but he doesn't say that. So because of that, I'm just the most confident people. And I just come out here and strut my stuff and, you know, share the gospel. And he goes, I'm weak. That's why it's a benefit. That's why it's beautiful to him. That's why as you continue on and you read that verse, that second verse, or verse four out of those two, I just read verse three and four. He says, And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. <laughs> so I didn't have to be. <laughs> I just demonstrated what it was. You know what Paul views himself as? Okay, honestly, it's like that analogy of like, okay, so I don't know if anyone here has ever been to Hoover Dam. Who's seen it? It's incredible. There's all this water that's just flushing down and creating all this energy. And it's just millions of tons of water that just pour through and it powers. It's one of the most powerful um, of dams in the world, right? And all these people receive power. And there's this gigantic gate. And there was this joke when we went there, the guy said, you know, he said they always flip a coin to see who gets to open the gate. When they have to close down the dam and they reopen it. Because that person who opens the gate feels so powerful. You know why? Because they get to push the button, and all the gates come up, and these millions of tons of water flow through, and power's coming back to where it was. That person who's pushing that button is not like, look at me, all the power I have that I'm creating for these people. No, you push the button. Like, he didn't create the power. He didn't do it. He didn't make the waters flow. He just pushed a button and lifted the gate. That's what Paul basically says here. He says, I don't have to do the work. I just got to demonstrate it. He pushes the button. He's weak. That person could not have lifted those gates. If you watched them, I can't remember how many tons of cement that they had to put and how thick these walls were, but it's ridiculous because they, they know they have to prepare for earthquakes and natural disasters and things that could break it so they never want this dam to break. And so there's, there's millions, millions of tons of concrete that put it there, but there's a gate that goes up and it's just a push of a button. There's so much weight with the gospel, but you know what is a beautiful thing? is that Christ pulled it all. There's a huge weight to my sin. You, you look at the Old Testament, you look at the first Adam, okay? When he fell in the garden, I didn't fall in the garden, Adam did. And you know what happened? When he fell, his sin was applied to me. We're all fallen because of it, and it's, it stinks. It's like, man, what. Could I have a shot? You know, couldn't I have decided if I could have picked the fruit or not? You know, like I'm sure I would have failed, but saying that, you know, you kinda of wanna like just like that's that's not really fair. Thank God it's not fair. That's the best thing about all that is I don't even have to accomplish there what he did. I don't have to make that choice. I don't have to it's not like God's looking at me and going, Would you have picked it, wouldn't you have? Let me judge you on that. He so said, I decided it for you because I sent a second Adam. And just like that sin was applied to you, so it was righteousness applied to us. Let me just push a button here. Let me just show you that. Let me just open the gate and let that just flood out. That's why Paul, it's so exciting to see how he handles this because it's what I just like look at that and go, man, if he's able to do what he did and he's willing to do those things for us, He's able to do what he did, and he's writing those things. He's willing to address these people and talk to them. Why is that? What is his power? The reality is, he goes, I just demonstrated it. And there was true power behind what I said. Paul gets it. Chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, verse 17, he says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, but lest the cross of Christ be emptied of his power. He said, you know what would happen if I came out there and I tried to convince you of Christ and who he was and told you, like, this is a better deal than the thing down the street? You would have picked the thing down the street because there always seems to be a lot of better deals out there if I'm the one presenting it. You know why? Because I'm a failure. If you're trying to measure up to me and who I am, and Paul understood this. If they try to measure up to who he was and, like, say, well, you know, look at you. Paul would have had to admit his failures And he does, multiple times over. Thank goodness the scripture's not written about me. Because I don't want to be put on that pedestal. I don't want to be placed there in front of the limelight and see who I truly am. But Paul was. So he closes that out to them. In verse 5, he says, So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Right? After all this... saying all this you know what paul wanted more than anything he wanted to get out of the way that's the reality he's like i'm just a mouthpiece i'm just telling you about something that's so great i wish that and you know what he's just like me he's just like anyone who sees the gospel and sees what it is and says man i wish i wish you didn't have to hear me present it i wish it could come just straight from the source and we could just see it that way you know why because i'll mess it up when I try to give my human examples, when I try to say the things I do, when I try to present it in my way, and this is what Paul says to them, I mess it up. I just want to get out of the way. The problem with the Corinthian church, the problem with what we see so many times today is the fact that they look at the cross and they're like, that was a starting point. It becomes a relic. And we see that, right? There's, and there's plenty of people who view it that way. They're like, the cross was a good start, but my sanctification, who I am, what I must be, I've got to continue it. I've got to make it now. Okay, I saw a starting point and that's what the Corinthians church thought of this. They're like, well, I was baptized in, you know, Cephas, I was baptized in Apollos. I was baptized in Paul. And like, so because I was baptized in these people, that's what I got to go forward with. And they weren't understanding that. No, 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 it wasn't about that. Paul even says, I'm glad I didn't baptize most of you. You know why? Because I don't want you to pull onto me. I want you to understand what the true power is in. If I preach to you, if I teach to you, if you're depending on me, it'll fail. If you're looking for me, as he says here in verse 5, he says, Your faith not rests in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. He says, If it tries to rest in what my wisdom is, guess what? It fails. What does Proverbs say? The wisdom of men is folly to God, is foolishness to God, right? If you want to go feel how stupid Christians are, go read Proverbs. Because there's so many examples of like, man, we view this as wisdom, and it's not. Man, we view this thing as powerful, and it's not. Man, we view this thing as value, and it's not. Who can know the thoughts of God? Isaiah was there staring at it. You read the Bible, there's countless examples. Look at Job. He's like, man, God, why'd you do what you do? You know, After all those trials, and what does God do? Oh, you want to know who did that? Let me show you. I love the story of Job. You know why? Because it reminds me that like at least I'm not the only person who puts my foot in my mouth, right? And I'm thankful God I would, it would if you think about the fear that Job had to have in front of the face of God, you know, in front of him while he showed him all these things, I'm glad I don't have to go through that with God. I can just read about it instead. You know, Paul talked oh, excuse me, Paul. John. John a lot of times will talk about it. You know, we encourage uh you guys in here towards piety and not pietism. Okay, and some of you guys might be confused on that. There's actually this great thing that uh, John and some of the other pastors wrote about. Um, it's called the primer on pietism. And it's just this little like, I don't know, like five, six page thing, but it gives just kind of a synopsis of this, the idea here. But there's a quote in there that I'm just gonna read real quick. It says, the, uh, the concern is not that Christ is missing from pietism's message, this would be an unfair characterization. The concern is rather that Christ's work stands more in the background than in the foreground. This is seen clearly in that most all information and instruction within pietism is aimed at how to live. Duty overshadows identity. Pietism begins with the question, what must I do? In this schema, obligation precedes assurance. Right? Right? Paul didn't want to leave them with that. He didn't want to start with that. He wanted to start in the right spot so that when he started telling them about, hey, yeah, there's some things you guys shouldn't be doing, there's some things that you guys should do. He understand that, but the most important thing is where we started. It's the gospel. If you think it's about me, if you think these words of wisdom that I'm going to say to you, these thoughts, these things are important, you're missing the point. It's about where we started, it's about the gospel. I had um, um you know, I had I had a conversation with someone the other day and we we're discussing uh, pietism and piety because they didn't understand it really. It was it was interesting as a non believer and I, I can't even remember why, but I said that was very pietistic of you as a joke. And he was like, well, What the heck does that word mean? So we got into the discussion about it and I was like, Man, that word's just not really spoken a lot and TA, so, yeah, you know, Maybe Jeff hears it as an English teacher every once in a while, but you, know, you, don't, you just don't hear it. People don't talk about it. But it's really interesting to discuss it with him. But ultimately, like I said, you know, we want piety. I want to understand and realize that there's something greater and better, and God is more than I am. But I don't want to ever think about it that, therefore, I have to do this, and that's, where it, it, that's what matters. Because if that's what matters, you, you, just made, you just made the switch, right? You were standing so strong, and whoa, he's so great. He's so good. This is who God is, so I have to. You stepped off of him. And that's the reality for us. Go back to Romans 6. I just want to pick up one verse there. I was right earlier for us. And uh, in Romans chapter 6, uh, Stephen read that. And there's just one verse in there I wanted to highlight, though. In verse 6, this is what Paul says. He says, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. right, verse 6 there. We'll always get stuck in sin if we put ourselves and who we are and what we're doing before it. That's why I said Paul wanted to get out of the way. And that's the same for us, same for John. Same reason why he's preaching every day. Same reason why, uh, man, if you want to get ready, we're about to come to the table right now. Because it's, it's where we find rest. You know, everything outside of it, everything outside of us, man, it's controlled so heavily Everything outside of control is sold so heavily by human hands, right? Our jobs, our lives, our homes, everything and stuff like that. There's, there's just human intervention and it gets so much in the way of who God is. But that's not a reason to be like, oh, woe is me. Therefore, you know, I'm just going to like, you know, focus on asceticism and focus on like making less of myself and focus on the fact that I can't enjoy anything in life because it's all not of God. Instead, you know what Paul says? Enjoy it. <laughs> find rest in the fact that you don't have to rely on that. That's why we come every week and we come to the table and we come to these things and we want the reminder that, hey man, when we're taking that bread, we're drinking that cup, it is not about me. I don't have to find power in what I do. I get to find power and rest in this. So I'm gonna pray for us as we come to the table right now. God, we're just so thankful for the fact. Um, that you've blessed us so much, God. We thank you for the fact that Paul was inspired by you, God, not to rely on himself, not to think of himself, not to, not to focus on himself, but instead to drop that pretense of that God and focus on you. I pray that this morning that we're encouraged by that fact. Paul was just a man. He said, "I'm a madman if I think anything highly of myself. I'm insufficient." So I pray God that we can just fall back and think and think and focus on your sufficiency right now as we come to the table.